Hello and welcome to the Rethink Energy podcast, where the Rethink Energy analysts talk about the technology behind this week's energy news. I'm the editor, Peter White, and although he's on holiday, um, solar analyst Andrew Swantanar is, is actually with us. Hello there. Yeah, and we've also got hydrogen aviation analyst Bogdan Avramuta. Hello, everybody. And our EVN oil analyst, Connor Watts. Hello. And finally, our product manager, Simon Thompson, is also with us. Hello. Okay. This week's podcast is going to look at three stories from our weekly issue, um, which you can find at www.rethinkresearch.biz. Click on the energy button and it takes you straight there. It's a free publication. But these stories, uh, we're going to take a deeper dive into NL's Capital Markets Day, um, simply because in it, it declared it will build between 6 gigawatts and maybe as much as 12 gigawatts of heterojunction solar panels, which are uh, revolutionary in performance. And it also plans to sell off $21 billion euros of its assets because of the Russian war. Uh, similarly, we see Fortescue Future Industries behind yet another 10 gigawatt plan to build out hydrogen, this time in Queensland in Australia. And um, we're going to take a little look at Energy Vault, sudden change of direction. It's almost, it, it seems to have dropped its entire reason for existence and gone off installing lithium-ion batteries. And then we'll ask Simon uh, what he made of this week's issues. But the first um, discussion uh, is going to be about NL. Uh, since I wrote this, uh, I suppose I'd better um, do some of the talking. <laughs> um, the, um, the, the thing about NL is I've always been very impressed with them. Um, the only person I follow on LinkedIn, I only follow one person, is Francesco. Is it Storace or Storace, the CEO of, of NL? Uh, because he had such insight um, when he took power 10 years ago at NL um, to see the right direction for utilities. Uh, as a result, today, uh, NL has well over 70 million customers worldwide and operates in 30 countries. But that's not good enough, um, as, according to uh, uh, NL. They want to um, uh, manufacture um, solar panels, uh, both in Sicily, uh, where they have a, a 200 megawatt plant, which is going to expand to th three gigawatts immediately, and in, Amer in America, where they, they have another plant uh, that's going to be built that, that they announced this week. Um, and, and they will do this partly with money from um, from European uh, uh, European um, uh, Repower EU funds, and they'll do it partly with US Inflation Reduction Act funds. So obviously, the passing of those two acts has made a difference. But what is really surprising is is it plans to drop um, some weight and uh, and and go from. So well over 70 million customers down to 50, from operating in 30 countries down to six core countries. Um, the five where it, it has grids in Spain, Italy, Brazil, Chile, and Colombia. Uh, the US, where it has 15 gigawatts of renewables already and growing, um, and cut most of its activity in uh, Asia and Africa, uh, and, and only uh, keep a, a smidgen of uh, renewable projects there. I mean, this is quite a dramatic slimming down exercise. 
Um, in the process, however, I think uh, it, it made a, a real point that um, in the in the background of the the uh, gas crisis, uh, its gas assets are for some reason valued very highly, and therefore it will get good money for them. It has gas assets in uh, distribution assets in both um, Italy and Spain. Um, and so we can expect those to go on the block. It's going to do all this in a year, which I find quite incredible. Um, you know, when you got talk about companies like BP selling off the odd um, field of oil here and there um, o over the last three or four years, um, this, this company plans to uh, lose 21 billion euros worth of assets most of it in 2023. I mean, it's going to be a very busy year. And I just wonder if this is, uh, if, if, if these, this company can see this type of transformation uh, being effective, you know, are we going to see the same from Ibadrola? Are we going to see the same for, from uh, RWE? Are we going to see the same from more Europeans and maybe some? We've already seen some strange activity in America with um, two, um, two large utilities selling off all of their renewables so they can reset their renewables gauge in light of the Inflation Reduction Act. So there's a lot of change going on in the marketplace right now. Well, why do you think that NL is pulling out of those, those smaller territories? I, I think it, it just doesn't feel it can do it properly. I mean, it's, it's digitising those grids. About 40% of its capex is going into grid expenditure, and it's going to um, yeah, complete the digitisation of those grids pretty quickly. Um, one fact it came up with is the number of requests for connections across all territories has gone up five times, a factor of five, in two years. Mm. So there's so much renewable activity going on. And, and the number of requests it's dealing with at the moment is 480,000. Now, when I look at the, uh, the, the, at the ISOs in America, um, I, you used to see 3,000 each, and they've, they've gone up by that kind of number as well. So uh, its grids are, are as, as we said, in, in two European countries and, two, and three Latin American countries. So it, it's, it's, it's constantly being pestered to uh, adapt its grid. So by digitising its grid, by, by creating uh, flexibility in the character of the grid, it'll be able to um, manage this process far more easily um, and make those, those last mile connections um, more rapidly. So it's, it's you know, we write all the time about people not being able to get um, attached to the grid. And here's a company that owns five national grids and it's doing something about it. And it's doing something about it aggressively now. You know, and I, I just love the simplicity of the way this company thinks. What's the significance of um, selling off its or, or dropping its business in all those other countries? Is it just to, to fund its, its renewed efforts? In renewables, I, I, I think it it feels they need to be in the hands of richer uh, of richer people. Uh, yeah, I think partly to fund it, yeah, as well. Because I mean, that's the other thing it's done. It's continued to raise its dividend constantly, so it could be on a par with its um, European cousins, you know, at the same at the same level. And it's continued to lower its pricing um, to its customers uh, all throughout the last ten years. So, you know, it, 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 it does eat up money, um, but then it, it creates new customers all the time. It's picking up customers at a rate of 2 million a year, as most, most European uh, utilities have been losing customers. Uh, just, um, yeah, I think, that's, I think that, that's it in a nutshell, that it, uh, it does need the money and it wants to do things properly. 
and it'll give up those assets for someone else to do those properly in other countries. But if you go right back to the beginning of the story, I mean, I, I, initially I thought, oh, this is a misprint. You know, they've said we're going to produce um, um, solar, which is approaching 30% efficiency. I thought, oh, they don't mean 30%. They do mean 30%. <laughs> they've got a heterojunction technology, um, which is um, doing, which the modules have been gauged to about 24%. Uh, and they're going to add 7% to that to take them over 30%. Now, the only way that can happen, is, is from my understanding of the technology, is that there's going to be a tandem introduced um, with another technology taking up more spectrum uh, of light, um, whether it's ProSkype, whether it's um, SIGs or what, you know, whatever it is. There's, they haven't said much about it, but um, it seems that they're going to do this through partnership. The only, you know, the only partners in in uh, Europe that have that kind of understanding is probably Fraunhofer Institute and uh, one or two of its manufacturers. Um, um, what's the one in Germany, Andries? Well, Fraunhofer is in Germany, isn't it? Oh, you mean Meyer Burger, perhaps? Meyer, Meyer Burger, yeah, yeah. So, I mean, I, oh, that's the first names I kind of started to think about, that if, if this is serious. But uh, I think it is serious, and I think they're going to... Uh, you know, skip a generation and off they go at, at, at six gigawatts to start with and doubling over time. So well, uh, I, I do have a, one concern, which is that this is only going to be slightly better than the best Chinese product. So does this mean they're expecting Europe to re-implement some kind of trade restrictions on Chinese panels, or does it mean they're exporting it to the US? Because if they're exporting it to the US, uh, are they, why are they building any of the No, no they're building in it in the US. Now they're yeah. building one one factory in Europe for Europe, and one factory in America for America. Um, you know, where's the polysilicon coming from? Your guess is as good as mine, but probably the answer is not China. Hmm. Yeah, could, could yeah. be Germany, I mean, uh, Germany or the US. The, the current trade flow is polysilicon going into China. So yeah, yeah. Um, I, yeah. I just wonder so, if, so, if they'll um, be protected enough from Chinese imports. Uh, I guess it's a, it is a. I, I don't think they need to be protected. They're okay. a utility. They'll use their own panels. Oh, that makes sense. You know, that, you know so, so that's the beauty of this. Now, I mean, it won't be on their balance sheet. You won't see this affecting their finances because um, they're going to partner up in a way where they hold a minority stake and uh, and don't in, and don't include this in their figures. But um, but they'll they'll don't don't. A minority might be a technicality. It, it, this is guaranteed business for someone. And if someone could get a partnership with them um, and do a good enough job um, then and keep the prices low enough, then that they'll keep that business for a long time. So whoever does partner with them in those two countries is going to, um, it's going to do really well out of it and build a, a base both from America and from Europe to, um, to sell to the rest of the world. I mean, th three gigawatts each rising to six gigawatts each that's that's a significant contribution to the amount of uh, solar panels that are out there and we've, we've met this a couple of times a couple of people have already said um you know that, that they their manufacturing qualifies under the inflation reduction act in america uh for, for subsidies and they um they can source all the solar panels they need for the next five years um, from non-Chinese sources, uh, or, or rather they will be able to from a certain date. We've had two or three announcements like that uh, from uh, American uh, 
players. I think next year I was one of them. So uh, this is definitely a trend. Um, get your hands dirty in making, in uh, putting some money into making uh, solar panels for your own use. Um, you know, it, it's not purely for profit. It's for your own use so that you can definitely get your hands on them. Okay, so, I mean, that's that's interesting. I always will follow that company. Um, but we, uh, Bogdan, you have a story about uh, another Fortescue Future Industries uh, hydrogen um, initiative, this time in Queensland. Yes, that's correct. Um, um, Fortescue Future Industries, uh, well-known metal group, partnered with WinLab, a uh, renewable energy asset manager, to develop a 10 gigawatts wind and solar farm with the goal of production of uh, green hydrogen and then further down the line that hydrogen uh, is mostly meant to be transformed to green ammonia. Uh, the interesting thing is that um, Australia has, it seems like it has recently realized the uh, vast uh, renewable resources that it possesses because we've been writing about um, about them recently uh, regarding a 10 terawatt hour wind um, offshore farm and given that in uh, 2020 they used uh, about a third of their energy mix comes from coal a third came from natural gas gas and a third came from um, uh, burning oil only about four percent came from renewable um, it's very interesting that it, it's only now starting to, to gear up um, on renewable energy yeah but I think we've heard from Fortescue uh, um, um, and its CEO Forrester um, that um, that I mean he's made gambles before gambling almost everything he owns. He, he was the guy who imported um, uh, iron ore into China um, in bulk uh, and, and and made that connection and, and became a billionaire over it. Um, his game is supplying Japan with enough hydrogen to drive its energy, um, to drive its whole whole energy economy, and and that's. You know, and he just has to stare at uh, maps of Australia, saying, "Oh, how hot is it here? How much solar can I put here? How much wind can I put here?" So he's 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 he's, he's playing one game very hard, um, and and this is Queensland's turn um, because he, he has, I think, it's, this is his third or fourth project, and he's already got to the stage where he's building ships or or, or buying or acquiring use of ships to transport. Um, uh, hydrogen to to Japan, uh, and and he's got a, a start date for that. And I think it's if it's not in 2023, it's early 2024. So I think I think um, this is the same story being you know just spreading more widely over Australia. This is not for Australians. This is not going to change the amount of hydrogen they use in in their activities. This is for export. Um, we we forecast ourselves. When we add up all the amount of solar and wind we think Australia is going to build, um, something like 30 to 40% of its energy in uh, uh, in the kind of 2040 timeframe will be for exports. Um, and I think that these billionaires, that are, can, they can see this. I mean, we, the famous Sun Cable project is very similar, but but from the north of, uh, of the territory, with a cable going off into... Uh, Indonesia and Singapore and Malaysia, so um, and and just sending electricity under the sea directly to those economies, which import well, some of them import nearly all of their energy. So it, it is a it, it's it's a 
game that you've got to play on a vast scale. Uh, and he's a gambler like no other. So, uh, and, and he's definitely gambling that hydrogen is the future. Um, yeah, that's, that's that's true. Um and I mean Forsky has already signed deals with the uh with Kazakhstan, the government of, of Kazakhstan for uh, uh exporting oh, it's, it, it's in that deal, is it? I thought that was like a competitive deal. So it's it's part of the Kazakhstan is it forty gigawatts electrolyzer uh, um, um project. Um yeah, you mean the one that we talked about a few weeks ago? Well, we've talked about it over a year ago and several times right. since, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, it might be, it might be. Uh, but yeah, the point I was trying to make is that they um, issue that they, they are looking to, to, to build bridges with a lot of um, other Asian countries and um, they're, they're exploring Kazakhstan for uh, green hydrogen production. Okay. Now, one, one other story we, we talked about this week that, I, that I, we just went into. We, we've had a bugbear about Energy Vault uh, a Swiss company that uses, um, uh, well, used to use large concrete weights to store energy in uh, in what looks like a, a high-rise set of flats um, where, where these weights are, I don't know, five-ton weights running through a, a cable. And Connor had a little look at, um, at, their, at their annual figures uh, and what they said and where their revenues are coming from. Connor? Yes, so... A large amount of the revenue for Brian Energy Vault over the last quarter and over the last year has been through a, a an offshoot kind of called Energy Vault Solutions, which provides traditional battery storage technologies. And in the earnest call for this quarter, they were really, really harping on diversification and the monetization of battery management software as a as a long term stream of revenue, which Makes sense. That's something you want to advertise to investors because long-term extended streams of revenue can often beat bulk initial purposes. But yeah, but in a way, in a way, this 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 company's this company got its first hundred and twenty-five million dollars uh, of investment to improve its uh, gravity-based storage system. Uh, it went away, and it, it, the version two. Uh, that came out about three years later is utterly unrecognizable. Um, instead of building a high-rise uh, of of um, five-ton weights on top of one another, um, it's it's a building uh, that's not very tall where weights just seem to slide along on uh, internally um, in a covered building and, and drop a floor driving a, a turbine. And this is only being installed in China. So it's it's a very difficult place to get information uh, out from, but we don't seem to have anybody else prepared to build a real really big one of these projects. So I mean, it, either the system doesn't work, or nobody wants it in their backyard, or they can make more money out of selling traditional lithium iron, and that, and, and they, of course they had to write. Some kind of storage management software, um, battery management software, if it's a battery, um, to, um, to so you can call for energy and that it can be distributed uh, at the drop of a hat. So uh, they've got this, they've got software. Um, you might as well use it with a different form of storage. But I mean, as I, I understand it from your story, there's a couple of gigawatts of, of uh, lithium ion. 
I mean, nobody else yep. is getting a couple of gigawatts. Uh, people like Fluence are about the only company getting that kind of scale of additions to their pipeline uh, in a quarter uh, or, or in a year. Um, and that this suddenly rockets them from being not in this business to being one of the biggest. Yeah, exactly. So the largest lithium-ion one was a 410 megawatt, 820 megawatt hour system in the US, I believe. Or was, no, no, that one was in Europe, I apologize. And there's some other smaller ones at about 100 megawatts. It adds up to about 1.5 or so. Uh, yeah, gigawatt hour for the quarter. Yeah, yeah. And there's no mention of it anywhere, of it, other than, other than an alternative battery solution, which we're assuming is lithium ion. There's no mention of lithium in the call, right. but it's not the gravity solution, so it will almost certainly be lithium ion. Well, it's battery anyway. They're also yeah. building a lithium hydrogen hybrid, um, hybrid one in Europe, which will be 300 megawatts. Okay, so what's a lithium hydrogen hybrid? I mean, surely it's a battery that stabilizes the production rate of hydrogen through electrolyzers. Is that what, what, what we're saying? They didn't explain, but that's what we should assume, yes. Yeah, well, we need to, next time we need to be on the call, we need to ask them these questions. Uh, this is a company in flux. Um, I don't think it's going to be very long before someone sues them for saying, hey, you, you, you got our money under false pretenses. You were going to build a, a revolutionary battery system. Where is it? Um, why are you doing all this other activity? Why is this your main activity? Um, a class action lawsuits um, in the States are, are very common. Um, you know, it seems to be, um, it did go public in the States via a SPAC, didn't it? Yes, exactly. Right. So um, I, I can see trouble uh, ahead. Um, and that they've been caught up before in, I mean, there was huge criticism immediately for the cost of the production, the, the carbon cost of the production of the concrete that they were going to use um, w was um, making them not a green solution, um, said most people. But then, they, then they, they listened to a lot of their potential customers, and now they're ending up putting things like um, coal ash residue inside the weights. Well, you know, if you... If you if you put coal ash into um, a water supply in America, you get fined for it because there's trace elements of toxic metals in there. So I'm not sure I want to be near a building that's got trace elements of toxic metals going up and down some kind of turbine elevator. Um, I suspect permitting is going to be a nightmare for them. I think, I think maybe we've got, uh, you know, suddenly they're going to have revenue. Um, and and this, this might have been sort of emergency talks, what can we do? And they've come up with this plan and uh, some people have bought into it. But um, shareholders are not going to be happy. What, what happened to the, the technology you promised us? That would explain why the only one that they have up and running is in, in the Mongolia. I'd say saying in China is <laughs> all well and good, but it's in the most barren part of China where obviously well, permitting will be easier. It's, it's, it's not entirely barren in, in that they have a lot of coal um, uh, energy in uh, in the Mongolia, and they have a lot of industry because of cheap energy that's just been that's, it's attracted to the energy that's cheap. Mongolia itself has the, the lowest density population on the planet, um, about the same as Australia. Um, you, you know, um, I don't know the numbers, but you know, probably one or two uh, humans per square um, uh, kilometer. Um, 
the Inner Mongolia, though, compared to the rest of China, is sparsely populated, yeah, and uh, mm-hmm. and is is way up in the north. Um, okay, so um, we, we'll keep an eye on energy. Vol- I, I, it, it was one of the first stories we ran when we started writing about this. Everyone had these pictures of these cranes um, taking um, uh, 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 concrete blocks up and down. Everyone thought, wow, this is just like hydro, but you can build it anywhere. Um, it seems like that dream's definitely soured. Uh, maybe we can get an interview with these guys and see what they what they've got to say for themselves. Um, perhaps you reach out and uh, and if anybody knows the CEO and you've perhaps they could mention our interest. Okay, um, these uh, stories are on, as I say, the weekly analysis section of Rethink Energy. You go to www.rethinkresearch.biz. You click the energy button and you're straight into a free weekly analysis. Simon, um, you've read the issue. Anything that stands out or needs explaining? Uh, well, it's the the thing that I, um, I found interesting with the, the trio of vehicle uh, manufacturers, Volkswagen, Toyota and Mazda, with big projects. So Volkswagen is introducing a hydrogen fuel cell. Uh, Toyota uh, production of vehicles is down. And Mazda is investing 1.5 trillion yen. I looked that up. It's about seven billion dollars in electrification. That's a, that's a, um, a lot of um, you know big moves for those companies. Um, well, Volkswagen's CEO at the time that um, uh, the the, uh, the European Union was voting on whether or not to ban. Uh, ICE vehicles by 2035, um, almost tried to bully the politicians and say, no, don't do this. And they they famously not wanted to go down the electric vehicle route. Once the law was passed, they've been very um, agile at, at pushing to get as many models as possible that are EV. But at the same time, they've had this dream of uh, of a fuel cell and of running um, of running systems on hydrogen, and they have R&D, as Toyota has. Toyota's been the long-term, uh, I mean, the largest car maker in the world and the long-term flag bearer for hydrogen uh, driving cars. No one's been able to get the uh, price down low enough for small cars, for uh, can, can, uh, for passenger cars. Uh, people have been able to get it down low enough for large trucks. So patents on fuel cells is understandable. From Volkswagen, and I expect to see more of that because they really believe that eventually um, a, a large segment of the electric vehicles will end up being driven on hydrogen. I'm not sure we agree with that. Our forecasts put it in a very low percentage, I think five or six percent by 2050. So, um, yes, at the large end of the market, not at, not at the passenger car end of the market. Um, Toyota, um, what, what they've they've um, They've cut down, cut their forecast per cars. Is that, is yeah, that I'm assuming that that's existing ICE cars. Um, so, but yes, but that's, I yeah, covered this. So, so that's not, so, uh, not to be expected. I, I know. That's a representation of the economic situation. Mm-hmm. So, this is just they were planning on making 9.7 for this financial year, but looking at March in, well, looking at this time period up to March in Europe and. 
areas affected by significant inflation and general economic woes, ICE vehicles are still incredibly susceptible to economic hardship and will continue to be as they still mainly inhabit the lower end of the market. And so they've just revised their forecasts down as they're expecting to sell 9.7 million down to 9.2, but that still beats the company's record of 9.07. So they're unhappy with it, but they can only be so unhappy with it. um, There's this axiom in the market about um, everybody attacks the luxury end of the market first, but it's true of EVs. Most EVs um, attack the luxury end of the passenger market, which is the most profitable. Um, and, of course, that means that Toyota is losing the most profitable end of the market first um, because it's behind in its production of electric vehicles. It, it, it only does mild hybrids, or, or rather, it's in, historically, it's only done mild hybrids. Um, and right now, we're seeing 20% plus shortfalls in sales against last year in ICE vehicles right the way across the world. I mean, that's an average, but... Um, and so Toyota is affected by it more than anybody else because it's the largest car maker in the world. Um, Speaking of companies being a, a bit overly slow, I was just going to quickly cover the Mazda thing. The big thing there is that they expect their their EV sales in 2030 to be between 25 and 40%, mm. which is bad <laughs> for Mazda. That is not good. But it'll be heavily regional within likely Japan, which is already behind on EVs. And so they'll still be able to make that sales, but they're going to need to be able to to export these EVs and build up capacity while suffering from other companies getting ahead. It seems like they've gotten a bit tired of Toyota, who usually leads to packing Japan's OEMs, and have just said, okay, we need to throw money at this now, because if we leave it any later, we're going to go under. And that's where the 1.3, was it 1.3 trillion? Or yeah, yeah, it's about $1. $7 billion. Dollars. It's interesting they can get hold of that money. It's still late. Yeah. It's still very, very late. <laughs> of 25 to 40% in 2030 is not going to look good for them outside of their domestic market. Um, yeah, I mean, remember, Mester is, surely Mester is a, isn't it a division of the, um, uh, the Nissan Renault uh, sort of merger? Isn't it part and parcel of that? Um, it's it's a it's a, a car brand car brand within another group, as I understand it. Is and they they so so what you often get with these. Uh, go on. Toyota and Sumitomo Mitsui. So it's a subsidiary. Oh, it's a of subsidiary of Toyota. Toyota. Okay. okay. Oh, okay. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, it's all. I mean, most of the it's about 60, 65 car brands. There are not mm. sixty five companies. Yes. There were sixty-five companies, um, and I'm always, uh, I'm always kind of. Uh, you track down something like the ownership of Volvo. You say, yeah, it's a Swedish car company. It was a Swedish car company that was acquired by Ford and then sold to Geely of, of China. Um, so you, you kind of go, it's not a Swedish. It's a Swedish. It's a car company with most of its manufacturing in Sweden. It's a Chinese car company. It's manufacturing in Sweden. So, and the car industry is full of that. Any any follower of the car industry understands that there's. Um, and what you can do is you can say, you know, that brand, that brand appeals to the EV marketplace, so we're going to um, push it. Or that brand doesn't appeal to the EV marketplace, so we're going to go slower. Um, 
And it, so it's about manipulation of brand more than it is, and, and factory space more than it is um, uh, a particular uh, company uh, lagging or ahead. Uh, in, and the clues given by Envision AESC, um, uh, the, the battery partner, because that's partly owned by, um, I'm fairly sure that's, that's um, yeah, I'm fairly sure that's Nissan. <laughs> I think that's owned by Nissan. So, um, uh, yeah, so I, I'm, there's some confusion here about Toyota and Nissan, but certainly by Jap Japanese interests. Okay, so um, yeah, that's that's you're right. There's moves like this going on all the time, Simon, and the car industry is reshaping itself. And while we're looking away, um, the whole uh, one of the things we keep going on about is that the Inflation Reduction Act has slowed down the rate at which the car companies of America, the traditional General Motors, Ford, and the American half that is Stellantis, um, has slowed down the rate at which they can embrace electric vehicles because they've got to rebuild their um, raw material supply chain for battery and the manufacturing of battery around the Inflation Reduction Act purely to get subsidies. And so that's put a kind of two-year delay on the rate at which they can ramp their electric car base, which is only going to harm um, the traditional American car makers who are going to lose one or two percent market share in America each before they start to reclaim it. Um, it's 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 weird when you look at the Inflation Reduction Act. It's not designed to reduce inflation. It's designed to make the car industry and the battery industry and the solar industry American. And as a result, it's not necessarily aligned with the interests of solar um, uh, installers in. America, and it's not aligned with car makers in America. It's slightly oblique, and um, uh, it sets huge temptation in their way, but uh, it, it, it means that government is setting policy where companies can't. So uh, I'm not sure of the wisdom of the Inflation Reduction Act, and at some stage we're going to have to do something uh, long and concrete on this because uh, a delay of two years at any stage in uh, the, the history of car making, solar manufacture, well, we've seen a delay, what a delay of two years in the solar industry does for you in the policy silicon shortage. You know, it causes mayhem, and um, we're in the middle of mayhem. Uh, long may it continue, because that's why people need our advice. Um, and if you need any forecasts from a Rethink um, Energy, you click the forecast and data button on the website and um, you look through all the uh, research we've done. If you need more information on it, you email Simon at rethinkresearch.biz. He'll be happy to walk you through um, the huge number of reports that we've put out this year and, um, and help you become a customer. Um, I'm going to call the end to this podcast. Uh, if anybody is on the podcast who's not signed up for Energy Question Time, which is uh, an event we're running, a webinar we're running th this afternoon at three o'clock. Um, go to the website and um, uh, you'll immediately be uh, invited to join um, join that as well. And um, we'll see you all again or he you'll hear us all again next week.